If you have your Bibles with you today, please open to 1 John chapter 4. Looking at the first six verses, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would still our hearts and our minds, that we might receive your word with gladness. Remove every distraction from this place, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, I know that many of us have the thoughts and cares of, of the day and the week on our hearts and our minds. Lord, we lift those up to you right now. We lay this at your feet. And we pray, God, that uh, we will be able to focus on the preaching and the worship of God even now in this hour. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that just as you did with Aaron, that you would work faith in their hearts, that they might come to know you. Lord, for Christians here today, as we're growing in our faith, as we're learning to be discerning, Lord, teach us, Lord, today even how to do that from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the month was August, and the year was 1998, so about 20 years ago. I was entering my senior year at King College, and at the time... I was dating this beautiful, blonde-headed girl. Her name is Deirdre. She's sitting right there. <laughs> it's a good thing. That's right, yeah. Deirdre was entering her sophomore year. It was pretty early on, still in our relationship. We were starting a new school year, and I said to myself, I want to start this school year off right dating Deirdre. I want to do a Bible study with Deirdre. I want to be... The leader. I want to show her how much of a leader I am, how much I care about this relationship. Now, at the time, if you don't know Deirdre, she grew up in a PCA church. Her dad was a PCA pastor, and I'd grown up in a Baptist church, and I was starting to learn Reformed theology. So I started uh, talking to her about this Bible study that we were going to do together, and I said, hey, what would you like to study? Now, what does every PCA girl want to study? The book of Romans, of course, right? There's no other book, just the book of Romans. Let's study the book of Romans. So I said, sure, let's study the book of Romans. So I went into action. 
because I wanted to show her just how committed I was to this relationship and committed to leading her in the scriptures. So you know what I did? I drove down to the nearest Bible Baptist bookstore. Actually, it, it wasn't a Baptist bookstore. It was just a Bible bookstore, the nearest bookstore. And I went in and I looked for anything on Romans. And I went in and I found this commentary on the book of Romans. Didn't really look at it, open it. I just saw it was there. It said Romans on the front. I picked it up, bought it. And I drove as quickly as I could back to the college campus because I was so excited. Look what I'm doing for you, right? I'm, I'm being the leader in the relationship. And I'll never forget this. I walk up to Deirdre and I say, hey, I'm excited about our Bible study. And I want to kind of take it to the next level. Look what I bought. I bought this commentary. We can use this as we go through Romans. So I handed Deirdre the commentary. She looked at it. Took her about five seconds. She handed the commentary right back to me, and she said, I'm not studying that commentary with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't you understand that the person who wrote this commentary, that that person believes that you're saved by your works? I'm not going to study this with you. You're not, you know, in other words, put this aside. This is not a very good book. And when she handed it back to me, what happened in my heart? I was offended. Seriously? I'm sitting there thinking to myself, don't you know how much work I've done to, to, you know, to, to think about leading you in a relationship? What other guy on this campus is going to drive to a bookstore, get a commentary, and bring it back to study with his girlfriend? Nobody. But then time passed. I thought about it. And it dawned on me, and I will go ahead and say it, Deirdre was right. This was my mistake. You see, I was too naive. I was so ignorant about studying the things of God, about studying the Scriptures, and that became what I call a huge learning moment for me. Have you ever had one of those? The light bulb comes on. You see, I should have known better. I should have known better than to just go into the nearest store, grab the first book on the shelf, and say, hey, let's study this together. What was my problem? I had no discernment. Yes, I was a Christian. Yes, I was very excited about studying the Scriptures. But I was young, not only in my age, but also in my faith and understanding how to learn the things of God. I was uninformed, and I was getting ready to take us down a very treacherous road theologically and a life that would, when it applied to our lives, would not be a good life of application. Why? Because bad theology be leads to bad application. I had no discernment. And I tell you this story today because right here in this text, chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle John, He's giving the same type of pastoral counsel and instruction that I needed back in 1998. He's giving it to his audience right here in 1 John chapter 4. You see, it's clear from this text that there was an abundance of false teaching going on in the church. It was circulating through the church. 
And John writes to the church and he tells them not to take everything at face value. But instead, he asks them to be biblical. He asks them to be thoughtful. He asks them to be discerning. A moment ago, Lad read from Acts chapter 17, talked about the noble Bereans. You remember that text? They had eagerness like I did. The Bible says they received the word with eagerness like we were back in 1998, but they also examined the scriptures daily to see if certain issues were true or not. In other words, they were living with discernment. They were engaging true biblical truth. And today from this text, as we walk through this text, I want you to see some of the same things. This text breaks down into three points. Number one, it's this. There's a call to live with discernment. Secondly, John says to take the test. Thirdly, he wants us to see the contrasts. So number one, live with discernment. Number two, take the test. And number three, see the contrast. Look at verse one with me once again. Here's the call to live with discernment. What does John say? Beloved. It's his first word, right? He loves these folks. He's trying to care for them and tend, for, tend to them as a shepherd would his flock. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Why do we need to live with discernment? Number one, because the Bible tells us to. Right here in 1 John, do you see it? Don't believe every spirit, but test, John says. Don't just take it at face value, but test. You know, Paul says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. He says, examine everything carefully. In Ephesians, he goes to this illustration. He says, we must be discerning or we'll be tossed here and there by the waves. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. Have you ever been in the ocean and tossed around by the waves? Sometimes the current is pulling you left. Sometimes the current is is pulling you right and you get tossed around by the waves. Have you ever been in the ocean and you're you're in the water and you're, you're relaxing and before you know it you turn around and a wave just smacks you right in the face because you didn't see it coming? or it pulls you one way or the other. Maybe you've been in the ocean, and you've been pulled down the beach a little bit, and you didn't even realize it. You didn't realize how strong the current was. But you look up, and you say, oh, I'm supposed to be way over there, and I'm way over here. That's what Paul's talking about. When we don't live with discernment, we get tossed around like we're in the ocean. But the Bible also says we should live with discernment because, number two, we have an enemy. We talked about this last week. Ephesians 6 says to put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because we have an enemy. Satan, Peter calls him a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We can't live the Christian life being ignorant or naive. You know, being ignorant within itself is not inherently wrong. We all start ignorant. We all need to learn. The problem is, is when we remain ignorant. 
or when we remain naive. Because the book of Proverbs and the Bible teaches us, yes, you might start ignorant and start naive, but you need to seek wisdom. You need to gain wisdom. You need to understand the fear of the Lord, that you grow in your knowledge, you grow in your wisdom, your discernment. And we should not be ignorant that we have an enemy. And that enemy will try to confuse you. As we talked about last week, he will try to put doubt in your mind. He will try to get you to deny the Word of God. Do everything he can because we have he, because he is our enemy. But the third reason, John says, we should live with discernment is because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Did you see that phrase in verse 1? Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not a few, but many. And today you can find them everywhere. You can find them on your TV. You can find them on your radio. You can find them on iTunes. You can download them and you can listen to them on your iPhone. They're on the internet. Everywhere you look, you will find false teaching. They will even come to your doorstep. You won't even have to go looking for them. They will find you. And what is extremely sad, and we all need to be aware of this, is that many false teachers can be found in the pulpits of churches all across this nation, all across this world. One commentator said it this way, Those who trust everything they read from a Christian bookstore like me, or hear on Christian radio or television, they're prime targets for doctrinal deception. Be aware, people of God, the Bible says. Test. Test the spirits, because there's a lot of false teaching out there. But what do we use to test? The Bible says it's the Word of God. In praying his high priestly prayer, the Lord Jesus said this in John 17. He said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I often call or I often thank God for his word, saying that, God, I thank you for your word because your word is truth in a world that's filled with lies. We are all surrounded by false teaching, yet God's Word comes to us with clarity, giving us truth in a world that's filled with lies. We know what Paul said of Scripture, that Scripture is God-breathed, flowing from the lungs of God. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that you and I may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The verse Lad read a moment ago, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Listen closely. It says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and listen to this last line, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Scripture itself is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is what God is calling us to use as we test the spirits. So first we see this call to discernment. Yet secondly, John moves on. He says, now take the test. 
take the test of discernment. It's found in verses 2 and 3. Look back at your, te- your text. This is the test. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. You see, as John's talking about false teaching, let's zoom in and look specifically at what false teaching he's talking about right here in this text. Because there's a specific one going on in his life and in the life of their church. He mentioned it way back in chapter 1. I know it's been several weeks, several months even since we looked at 1 John chapter 1. But do you remember the first chapter of this book? The first five verses of this book. The first five verses of 1 John chapter 1 talk about the heresy of docetism. Do you remember that? Docetism comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. And their false teachers were saying that Jesus wasn't really a man. Mm -mm. He just seemed or appeared to be a man. He really didn't have flesh and blood. You know why they said that? Because in their system, flesh and blood, anything physical, was inherently evil. Therefore, the one who comes from God certainly can't have flesh and blood. So he must have just seemed or appeared to have flesh and blood. He was more of a ghostly appearance. He really didn't have flesh and blood. But right in chapter 1, if you go back and look at it, study that, the first thing John does in that text is he says, listen, I was an apostle of Christ, and let me tell you something. I heard Jesus. I saw Jesus. I even touched him. And let me tell you, he was really a man. He really had flesh. He really had blood. There's no doubt that Jesus was a man. And now you see it in verse 2 of chapter 4. He says, You know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Jesus had to have come in the flesh. But also in chapter 2, he talked about the divinity of Jesus. You see, there were many false teachers going on here. There were some that denied Jesus' humanity. There were also some that denied his divinity. In chapter 2 of this book, we've, we've already looked at this, but John took issue with those folks. Because in chapter 2, he said, you can't honor the Father without first honoring the Son. And if you don't honor Jesus as God, you're not honoring his Father as God. That Jesus is fully God, just as his Father is. So this is the test. You must have proper Christology. You must have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but did you, do you know that the church, for the first four to five hundred years, argued about this issue for years and years? Who is Jesus? Was he really a man? Was he really God? Was he just part man and part God? What was it? Back in 325, you had what was called the Arian Controversy. These folks, they denied that Jesus was God. In fact, they said there was a time when Jesus was not 
You had a man like Athanasius stand up at that council and said, no, there was never a time when Jesus was not. Jesus is the same in substance with his Father. He's fully God. A few years later in 381, the Apollinarian said, Jesus was not a perfect man. But at the Council of Constantinople, they said, yes, yes, he was a perfect man. In 431, at the Council of Ephesus, he was denied that it was said that he was two persons, yet at Ephesus, they claimed him to be one person. In 451, they said, they said they, they merged the two natures of Christ, of God and man, into one, but they said, no, Jesus had two natures. He was both God and man in one person forever. And they talked about this year in, year out. And the church councils tried to give everyone clarity about what, who Jesus was. But let me ask you a question. As helpful as those church councils are, are they the basis of what we believe about who Jesus is? Are they our final authority? They're not. What's our final authority? It's the Word of God. What does the Word of God say, right, about who Jesus is? Is He fully man? Is He fully God? Let's look at some of these texts. First of all, the humanity of Jesus. What does the Bible say? In John chapter 1, verse 14, it clearly says, The Word was made flesh. He made His dwelling among us. That Christ came down and took upon our flesh and our blood. He was really a man. The author of Hebrews says it this way, For since the children have flesh and blood, He likewise partook of the same things. He was made like His brothers in every way. Jesus was made flesh and blood to identify with you and me, the Bible says. Philippians 2, we talk about this text often. It says, He was made in the likeness of men. He was found in fashion as a man. We just went through the Christmas story a few weeks ago. We hear Luke talking about this baby who was born of Mary, having flesh and blood. And all the gospel writers talk about Jesus being on that cross, being pierced with nails in his hands and feet, and blood pouring down his flesh. Do you see how, do you see how the gospel writers so go, they go to such great lengths to show us the humanity of Jesus Christ? But they also show us his divinity as well. The same gospel, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Paul says, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. We see his humanity in being born of a woman. But we see his divinity in that he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by his heavenly Father. We see his humanity and that he needed a place to lay his head and sleep. But we see his divinity in that God never needs to sleep or slumber. We see his humanity in blood coming out of his hand. We see his divinity when Jesus went and healed the withered man's hand because he's God. We see his humanity when he needed to drink water, he said on the cross, I thirst. 
but we see his divinity when he took pots of water and turned it into wine. We see his humanity when he cried at the tomb of Lazarus. He had grief when he had pain. Yet we read in Revelation that he will one day wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain. The Bible goes to such great lengths to show all of us that Jesus is fully man and he's fully God. In seminary, I got to sit under one of the best theologians in the world, really, Dr. Douglas F. Kelly. I want to give you some quotes from Dr. Kelly because he did a lot of writing on the fact that Jesus is God and man. And he said in one of his lectures, he says, there's many consequences to our faith if Jesus is not a man. I want to read those to you. He said, if Jesus is not a man as well as God, that would mean that God had not actually come all the way down to man, that he had not really got a foothold in our creaturely world, that God would still be far away from us as far as heaven is from the earth as far as the Creator is from the creature. He said, if Jesus is not man, then God has not reached us, but He has stopped short of our humanity. And therefore, God does not love us to the uttermost, for His love stopped short of coming all the way down to where we are and becoming one of us. He said, if Jesus is not a man then the manhood of Christ that we proclaim is imperfect. Therefore, atonement is imperfect. And you and I would still be in our sins. Think about that, if Jesus was not a man. Then he went on to say, what if Jesus is not God? Here's what he said. If Jesus is not God, then God does not reconcile himself to the world in Jesus. So the work of Jesus is not eternally valid. If Jesus is not God, then the love of Christ is not identical to the love of God. If Jesus is not God, we do not have the descent of God to man. There's great consequences to our faith if we deny any of these fundamental truths about Jesus' humanity or his divinity. And this is the test. And the Apostle John says, take the test. If the test of what you're hearing teaches you that Jesus is not fully man, or Jesus is not fully God, that is the spirit of Antichrist, he says. And we should run from that as quickly and as fast as we can. Because the bottom falls out of Christianity because it did not pass the test. So we see clearly from the text today, John first says, live with discernment. He says, secondly, take this test. But finally, he says to us, recognize the contrasts. Look at verses 4 through 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth 
and the spirit of error. See the contrast, John says. You know, throughout Scripture, biblical authors give us great contrast as they write. Paul says you're spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead. Earlier in this book, John says you're walking in the light or you're walking in darkness. Jesus says build your house on sand or build your house on a rock. It's very easy for us to see the contrast. John just continues that contrast today. The first one comes in verse 4. It's between God and Satan. Did you see it? He says, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is God. He who is in the world, of course, is the devil. And he's saying of the devil, though Satan schemes, though he tries to deceive you, God is more powerful than Satan. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He's saying to us, God wins. See the contrast. See the difference between your enemy and your God. The next contrast is this. It's between the people from God and the people from the world. Did you see that in verses 4 and 5? In verse 4, he talks about you are from God, but they are from the world. See the difference in being from God and of the world. Earlier in this book, chapter 2, if you go back and look at it, chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It talks about that being not of the Father, but being of the world. And what does it say about the world? It says the world's passing away and the lust thereof. That those who are from the world, they are passing away, and they're not passing away unto eternity and life with God. But you... If you know Jesus Christ, this text is saying, you are from God. You have overcome them. One commentator said it this way, because Christ has overcome the world and believers have Jesus Christ, believers therefore have overcome the false teachers. Believers have overcome the world if you're connected to Christ. See the contrasts. The last contrast he gives us are those in verses 5 and 6. He says there's those who listen to the world and there's those who listen to God. The Apostle Paul addresses those who listen to the world in 2 Timothy. Here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And beloved, I want to let you know, and you probably know this, those teachers are everywhere. They are everywhere. They are are from the world. That's why we need to live with discernment. Because those who listen to God, Jesus says it this way. We read this text last week. This is John 10, 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. How discerning are you being in what you're believing, what you're hearing? Are you following the way of the world or are you following the way of God? As we close this morning, I want to read to you a quote from William Hendrickson that sort of summarizes this entire teaching. He says it this way. He says, we are able to recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of the lie 
by observing a listener's response to the preaching of God's Word. He says, as Paul says, this is from 2 Corinthians 2, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, and to the other we are the fragrance of life. See the contrast, John says. Because a response even to the preaching of God's Word will show us if we're listening to the world or if we're listening and following hard after God. Beloved, as we close this morning, let's not be deceived. Let's not run into the bookstore and grab the first book off the shelf and say, hey, let's believe this today because someone put Romans on the cover. We need to, we need to believe it. But let us live with discernment, remembering those noble Bereans who, yes, received things with eagerness, but took the time to study the Scriptures to see if that was true or not. And let us take the test. Does this doctrine really say that Jesus is fully man and fully God? Because if it denies this or it denies that, it fails the test. And let us see the contrast. Let us, be, let us not be like those who have itching ears, who will not endure sound teaching. But let us continually and faithfully, obediently follow hard after Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please.